I'm not used to singing and, and whatnot, but um, I do apologize for having you need to put up with me up here a little bit longer, but the way the schedules worked out, um, it didn't seem really fair to have Marcus preach three Sundays in a row. Um, so we're here, and I'm glad, to, I'm glad to be here with you guys to worship with you. We are on, right? Okay. Um, so today we're actually going to be, start uh, a series, and we're going to take it out of the book of Acts is going to be our foundation um, for this series, Acts chapter 2 specifically, where the, the early church gets its start. And I, I've been thinking about church and church life, how important church is, is it important to me, and all that stuff has been running through my mind a lot. And as I, as I did, my prayer, my prayer for us today is that whatever else you hear, I hope that you walk away with a deeper sense of appreciation for God's church, for the church here, and for your brothers and sisters here at Providence. Um, so I read, I read a book, or actually I listened to a book. I don't do, often do audio books, but I listened to a book... Um, it's called Defying Jihad. The author's name is Esther, and I'm drawing a blank on the last, her last name. Um, has, anyone, has anyone read the book or know of the book, Defying Jihad? Not even our book people know it. You have it? Okay. So they have it. But anyway, it's a powerful book. It's a story of a young girl who has a, probably like a 14 or 15-year-old um, growing up in Pakistan. She was a, a Muslim girl. And at like, it was 15 or 16, at a very young age, she had decided already that she was going to give her life. She, was, she had actually signed up to become a suicide bomber. She was so committed to, to the cause that she had signed up to become a suicide bomber. And her goal as being a suicide bomber was to take, by giving her life, was to take as many lives with her as she could. And the story goes on how through a miraculous series of events, she, she meets a guy at a hospital where her mom was receiving treatments, and through dreams that she had, she came to faith in Christ. And she endured beatings from her family. From her, her dad didn't know at this point, but her mom would beat her over and over. But over several years of time, her mom and her younger sister and brother actually came to faith in Christ but when her dad found out, it was her death sentence. To him, the only honorable thing for him to do was to kill her. That was the honorable thing to do. And so she was fully prepared to be martyred for her faith. And she wanted it to be, she was not in high, she was very, had become very public in her faith, and she wanted everyone to witness her death. She wanted everyone to see it. And her hope and her dream now had become, instead of taking as many lives with her in her death, she wanted, or her prayer was that she would save as many lives as possible in her death. Completely reversed what her dream and what she was hoping to accomplish. But the story goes on. The night before she was to be executed, her mom convinced her to actually flee. And for... Ten years, two years or so in Pakistan, being on the run for her life. She had married a Christian guy, actually the guy who led her to Christ. She had married him. 
and then they um, actually ended up as refugees in, I think it was in Myanmar. For eight years, they were refugees in Myanmar. And eventually, they got their paperwork all filed, and they came to the United States as refugees. Um, but to this day, she doesn't have any contact with her family. All the while that she was in Pakistan on, on the run, her dad was sent, actually sent posters all across the country. If you know where, who these people are, let us know, because he was looking, he wanted to kill her. It was a death sentence on her and her family, her husband and her child. They left everything. They lost everything for the sake of the gospel. And then at the end of the audio book, at the end of the audio book, they actually do an interview with her. They talk to her, and she answers some some questions. He talks about questions that she often gets. And one of the questions that she gets is, how does the church in America compare to what her experience was with church, while she, mainly while in Malaysia? I think it was in Malaysia. Um, and the thing that, that struck me is that she is, she's, what confounds her, that baffles her, is how church is so optional for Christians in America. And it struck me. I was like, is that all I think of church? That church, would I rather go golfing than go to church on a Sunday morning? How, how, how much do I actually value going to church? So the first two years, two plus years after she was saved, she never had the opportunity to worship with other Christians. And when that opportunity arose in Malaysia, they were part of a church and it was the highlight of their week. Their life revolved around church. And I just had to I asked myself the question, like, why, why is it so often, or is it, maybe it's different for you. Sometimes church, I don't think I just, I don't think I value it. The connection with other believers, the way, to, the way that I should. And I say that as confession and encouragement, I, I hope that as we look at why community in church is so important, and then as we go on through the series, the way that the church actually practice their community, um, I hope you come away with a newfound appreciation for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we truly are family in Christ. And I believe there's something, there's something that happens in the church life, and I, what I'd suggest to us today is that the church body is meant abroad and locally here at Providence, is meant to uniquely display something about the very character and the nature of God that nothing else can. You think about there's, there's two institutions that God ordained in Scripture. It's marriage in Genesis and in Acts he ordained or instituted the church. And those two things are probably two of the things that the world that Satan attacks with the most vengeance, because I think there's something in there that reflects the nature and the image of God. <clears throat> and so we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. If you want to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, um, I think we're going to, I'll read a couple verses out of there in, in a little bit. But as you, as I, this, this last year I had the, the privilege of um, teaching through the book of Acts with the eighth graders at Legacy and there were a number of things that really stood out to me in the book of Acts. Often when we think about Acts, um, some, some versions or translations will actually call it the Acts of the Apostles. 
Perhaps it's more the acts of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is actually doing through the apostles, but not only through the apostles, through the church. And as, as I think about how God moved in the book of Acts, how the Holy Spirit moved in the book of Acts, fulfilling and how they fulfilled the Great Commission of making disciples and being his witnesses all across the world, there was one thing that was underlying and supporting all of it, and that was the community of the local body, the community of the church. And I think it gets lost in the book of Acts because the first part of the book of Acts is a lot about Peter and his preaching, his sermons, and some of the other apostles, Stephen being martyred. And then from chapter 13 on, through the end of the chapter, it's Paul's life. It's Paul's ministry, his travels, his missionary journeys. But all of that hinged on the community of the church. When Paul began his missionary journeys, and when he was commissioned to go in Acts chapter 13, it was the church who commissioned him to go. It was the body, the community of the church that was behind that drive. It's just like we send missionaries out. They don't go alone. That's why it's so important that we as a church are rally behind, we pray for, we stay connected with our missionaries because I believe the community of the body of Christ is how the, um, the Great Commission is actually fulfilled. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 41 if you want to follow along. I'm reading from the ESV. This is right after Peter's sermon at Pentecost. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common." And they were selling their possessions, belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number, their number, day by day, those who were being saved. I believe that we as people are created and designed for community. How would you define community? Sometimes when we talk about community, kind of get a little bit of an eye roll, or it's like, oh, well, well, what is that really? Does it mean we move into some colony, and we share cars, we share meals, we do everything together as a colony? I think that could be part of it. I'm not writing that off. Let me say this as we look at the as we look at the early church in Acts. I don't think we should look at the church, the early church, as strictly a model that we need to follow to the T. And thinking if we would just model everything after this, there's a lot of things that we do actually model here at Providence even. If we just model everything just like they did in Acts, then our problems would all be solved. Keep reading chapters 5 and 6. They weren't free from problems. They were just like us. These are people like us. But I want you to think about community in this, in this way, on two ways. 
The most common way we think about community is, is those who participate in our everyday lives when a community is that we, who we participate with in our everyday lives that is centered around common interests, attitudes, and goals. We do this every day, all day. I think we do it with our work. We do it with our hobbies. We do it, I think we naturally simply gravitate to it because that's how we're created. That's what we're designed for. Um, just let me give you an example. Uh, I don't know, do we have any bikers in here? Like motorcycle bikers. Any bikers? No? I figured surely we have some bikers. I have a friend who's a biker, and he said one of the coolest things about being a, being a biker is you do the biker wave. We see another biker wave. You ever see them? You see bikers pass each other. There's always this little... There's something in that. It doesn't matter if you know him, if he's from Ontario, if he's from Florida. You just do the wave. You wave. There's a community. There's, some, there's a camaraderie there because there's a common interest. Now, that's community in its mildest Mildest form, if you will. Um, so you, um, for myself, an example, I'm a, so I'm a farmer. There's a connection that you feel with other farmers, whether you know them or not. If I'm heading, heading into Sugar Creek on a Monday, and I see a guy going with a cattle trailer, I mean, you wave. Because there's another farmer. And I, you, know, you, know how, you know how they think. You know, there's something about them you understand. You find that funny. We think differently, don't we? <laughs> there, there is something, but there's some, we, do that, we do it all the time. We do it all the time. Runners, right, Joe? You guys have a running community. There's, there's connections that we have. But we do it because we are looking for and we're created for community. God created Adam. When God created Adam, he made him and he said, it's good. Everything God created is good, right? But there's one thing he said that is not good. Do you know what that was? He said it's not good that he's alone. So we were created to need each other. And all the way down through Scripture, and I'm just going to, I'm going to skip over some of this stuff, but I want to skip forward into the book of Acts. And we talked this morning about how the, the coming of the Holy Spirit and, how, and what the, the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'd like you to think about, think about this. When, when I look at the, the start of the church, happens right at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. Um, I'll see if I can, if I can tie this together. So the, the idea of community has been marred ever since the fall of man. We've gone, when God came to commune with Adam and Eve in the garden, they hid because of sin. And so because of sin, the connection, the community that we experience as people is constantly marred by the effects of sin. Only God can restore community the way that he designed it to be. And he does that, he does that through the Holy Spirit who connects each one of us. And when the Holy Spirit comes and he indwells each one of us as his followers of Christ, it builds a connection that goes much deeper than having the same kind of hobby or the same thinking about farming. It's a connection that's much, much deeper. There's a spiritual connection and a spiritual bond that we feel with each other right here at Providence, but we feel it with other believers across the world. We feel that connection with believers who've gone on before us. We feel that connection with people who were in Scripture. There's a bond that connects, 
and unites us. And when the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost, there's something really cool that happens, how God begins. One of the works that I think that the Holy Spirit does is that work of uniting people. When the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost, and you see, it's in verses, um, in verse 2, or in chapter 2, where he talks about all the people that were there. Verses 9 and 10 talks about all the people that were there at Pentecost and were listening to Peter's sermon. People from all across the world, all walks of life, completely different cultures where they came from, and completely different languages. And they all heard the same thing. Does that remind you of something that happened in the Old Testament, or an undoing of something that happened in the Old Testament? Think about the Tower of Babel. When men in their pride and in their sin, because of sin, God scattered the people all across the world by dividing their languages. And here, when the Holy Spirit comes, there's something that goes on when he, all those different languages are united by one common thing, and that is the Holy Spirit indwelling their lives. The next thing that I see happening right before, right at the outset of the church, and I think, I think this is, sets the foundation for what makes church and the Holy Spirit active in our lives. You see it in verse, this is before the verses that we read, verse 37, 38, and 39, or 38, 37 and 38. Repentance is what leads to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Repentance is what frees the Spirit to work up in our lives. Repentance isn't something that we, we probably don't talk about it enough. Perhaps, I don't know, I grew up, I grew up probably with a very negative view of repentance. It was something that struck fear in me because it was just this guilt-laden thing. But I've come to see repentance as something that is incredibly beautiful. God, through the Holy Spirit, convicts us if there's sin in our lives because he loves us. And when and when repentance comes, it, it unites us with God, but also with one another. So repentance has to be the foundation. And out of that grew a movement that we call the church that literally turned their world upside down. And I don't think we can expect our country and our world to change unless it starts in our churches. It starts in our lives, even, I bring it home right here in Providence. If we are to fulfill the Great Commission, then we must set the foundation of repentance because all ministry and the spread of the gospel that takes place flows out of the community of believers. And that idea of community in the body of Christ is an idea, something that we need to nurture if it's going to flourish and grow. It's not just going to happen automatically. It's going to require time, effort, sacrifice. And those are some of the things that we'll talk about in this upcoming series about how the early church, how what they committed and devoted themselves to. <clears throat> they devoted themselves to community. I'd like to sit just for a second on that word devoted that starts out in verse 42 because I think there's something in that word that is the linchpin that holds the rest of it together. Um, I think it's something that, that is required of each one of us 
The word devoted actually shows up in the first chapter of Acts when the 120 were together. It says they were devoting themselves to prayer. Basically, the idea of being devoted to something, it's the opposite of dabbling. Are there things that you kind of dabble in? We all dabble in some kind of hobbies or whatever it might be. But when we're devoted to something, it takes on a whole other level. To be devoted is to continuously continue steadfastly and to remain constant. To dabble just means it's an occasional, irregular, irregular, and infrequent. To be devoted is to give yourself to doing something regularly and well. And so the question that I want us to ponder as a church is what are you devoted to? Or you could say committed. What are you committed to? What am I committed to? What are we as a church committed to? What are we devoted to? Because what we're devoted to, what we give attention to, is what we're going to learn from. I just remember what um, something that the guy from Spring Haven, when he shared, he said, what you give your attention to is what disciples you. So whatever it is that you and I are committed to, and what we are committed to as a church, is how we're going to learn, and that's how we're going to grow. Do we value one another? Are we committed to each other? Are we committed and devoted to praying together and to pray for each other? Community, I believe, requires commitment, and that's why I believe it's the linchpin that holds the church together here in Acts, and why it's important that we talk about it and look at it. Community is what makes the gospel a lived reality. It is the means by which we are discipled and grow as Christians. It is the means through which the Great Commission is lived out. I don't know what, how, what you think about when you look at the, think about the Great Commission. The last, the last command that Jesus gave before he left this earth was to go and make disciples Often I think we look at it as evangelistic in nature, going out and just reaching people for Christ. And that is, it, that's in there. It's part of it. But what does it mean to make disciples? Does someone become a disciple? What does it mean to disciple someone? It's, disciple means to learn and to grow. That's a lifetime commitment. That's a lifetime journey that each one of us is on. And I don't, I'm not sure that happens well outside of community. Does it happen outside of community? I don't, I don't think for lasting change and growth to happen in our lives, I'm just, I'm just convinced that it takes community. We need each other. And just to close, let me just talk a little bit, just close with this idea of how community, the nature of, or I'm sorry, the nature of the church, the community of church reflects the nature of God or the character of God. And I say that because it's what we were created for because God is a God of relationship. Why do you think God came to the Garden of Eden and walked with Adam and Eve? When he came and found them after sin, that wasn't the first time, I think, that God walked in the garden with them. He enjoyed that community with them. 
God is a relational God, and his design for people is to live in loving community. And there's in that, we reflect, sorry about that, we reflect the nature of God in a way that nothing else can. So if God's relational, and if you and I are created in his image, that means that that relational aspect of our lives is stamped in our very DNA. It's why we gravitate to community in our work, in our hobbies. It's why we gravitate um, naturally to community, community and why we so desperately need it in our lives. It's because it's in our very DNA. And there's something in that how a body of believers connects with one another, how the Holy Spirit, we, we have that bond of the Holy Spirit with each other. There's something in that re- that reflects the relationship of the Trinity. I just want you to think about that. Think about the relationship, how God is in relationship with himself in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and how that relationship works, and how the church reflects, just like marriage reflects that, the church reflects that. So let me just conclude with this. To live in community means that we need to let others in. We need to let each other into our lives, and that can be a risky Part That might feel risky to you, and it is. But we're being delusional if we think we can live in total independence and self-sufficiency. God never intended us for us to go it alone, to be a bunch of little islands floating about. He created us to be together. We cannot fully live in the delight and the joy of God without being drawn into deeper relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I think that is a natural outflow of our relationship with God is that it flows over into our relationships with each other. It's in this life together that we experience how wonderful Jesus really is. And though it may be risky, the the reward is to live life the way that God intended us to live. And we reflect his image as we live together in community. So as I thought about church, and as I thought about community, I think maybe that maybe we could look at one of the positives that came out of COVID. There are good things that have come out of it. One of them is, I think I've begun to appreciate more us getting together and not taking it for granted. I thought about it um, when we had communion. A year ago, we had communion in our homes. Do you remember that? Marcus and Narita were here, and we all had communion but in our homes. That's good, but it's just not the same. And so I hope we can gain or increase our value and the importance of us gathering together, being in person, gathering together, and connecting as brothers and sisters. And know that, that we love you. I love you guys. I love doing church, doing, having church being a church is living life together. And I enjoy doing that, and I love doing that with you all. So why don't you, I would invite you to stand with me. We'll have prayer. We'll come up and we'll have one more song at the end. God, as we think about church and the beauty of the body of Christ, as you laid it out, as you instituted in, in the book of Acts, and how you designed us, God, to commune with you, and to commune with each other. God, there's something powerful 
when we do that. And I pray that you would draw us as a church, as a, as a church family here at Providence, draw us, draw our hearts to you. And the natural outcome of that, the outflow of that, is that we're naturally drawn to one another. Make that a real part of our lives, God, as you work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.